Welcome to another episode of Books, Kids, and Creations with Tracy Bloom, a podcast that features people who uplift and inspire children with their work. And today I have the honor of speaking with Irene O'Garden and John Peelmeyer, who have inspired not only children, but people of all ages with their work, um, not only just printed books, but also theatrical performances, TV shows, novels, films, you name it, you guys have done it. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy. Happy to be here. Well, great. Yeah. And um, I want to talk about, because you guys have done so much, I mean, together, separately, you guys have done so much, but individually, how did you come to be in these creative roles. I know, um, John, you may have started in acting. Is that correct? I started as an actor. I wanted to be an actor. And sort of when I, I reached a point in my life when I was a little frustrated with that, and I started, I had started writing at a very young age. And uh, I just started writing again. In the meantime, I was acting and so forth. But uh, suddenly, I, I found myself not very happy acting and much happier writing and a great opportunity came along that sort of allowed me to switch paths uh and ever since then i've been writing and i have since also gone back to acting but writing is probably pri my primary source of creativity path of creativity okay yeah and irene as well um you started with poetry is that correct uh, yes, I'm. I'm essentially a poet, and I, I too, sort of threw it over my shoulder and went into acting, and kind of hit a similar, uh, a similar place where John did, uh, where I found that I was really not being as fulfilled uh, as an actress. I wasn't as pleased with the roles that were available for women at that time, and I thought, well, if it's not fun, stop doing it. <laughs> and, and, uh, did and I went away to an artist's colony uh, with the intention of illustrating a, a song that I had heard. And mm -hmm. while I was there, words kind of started pouring out. And and so then I I too shifted. Uh, and and poetry has always been kind of a primary thing for me, but but sometimes I disguise it and I make it look like prose. <laughs> and so then do you find yourself kind of weaving the poetry into like your kids' books and everything that you do, it yeah. kind of translates? Very much. My, my children's books are poetry and my, my books and, and pieces for adults are often poetry in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> and you've also, you also teach poetry to children, correct? Yes, yes. There's a beautiful program that's a national program called River of Words. And uh, that was founded by the poet Robert Haas. And what the purpose is, is to connect children to their watersheds mm. via poetry and art. So what I do is I get kids out into nature and, uh, and we capture poetic responses. Uh, to it and then share those with their parents, with the community. Sometimes uh, we've done what we call a poetry trail, which is poems on that I letter on muslin and that hang, they're about seven feet long and that hang from the trees and the kids scamper through the woods to find their poems. And, uh, That's so cool. I love that. And so you've also done a lot of different um, 
you know, you do calligraphy work and you do all kinds of different creative things. I think that's so neat. Thank you. Yep. It's all about words and incre increasing their value and their meaning for people. Yeah. And then talk about a little bit. So you guys have both done theatrical performances and written for theater. Um, what is it like for you, both of you, I guess, um, taking something from, you know, just being in your head to actually having it evolve into something you see on stage? It can be incredibly exciting and moving. Uh, there's always often a point during rehearsals when, uh, when I'm attending rehearsals of a play of mine when tears will spring to my eyes when I think, wow, this suddenly something that came out of my head has come really come to life through these actors and through this director. Uh, I recently, we, we had a, a, a Memorial Day party last weekend at the house for many of our friends. And uh, I, two of the friends that I invited were the actor and his husband, the actor who's playing Hook in my newest play, Hook's Tale, which is opening in Houston in, uh, in October. And that's a very family friendly show. And part of the play itself involves uh, the character of Daisy, who is a crocodile whom Hook befriends. And throughout the story, Daisy grows from being a little baby crocodile to a full-grown crocodile. And I express that in the play via puppets. So the first puppet is essentially a little finger puppet, crocodile finger puppet. And of course, the last uh, uh, configuration of Daisy is a hue, is a full-size crocodile suit that uh, hopefully an actor will be able to fit in. Anyway, at this party, uh, Richard, who is the uh, uh, Donald's husband, Donald is the actor playing Hook. Richard is also a uh, set uh, decorator and designer and painter, and and he creates puppets. So he made he's made these four. There are four puppets that are used in the play, and he brought two of them to this party. One is this finger puppet that I had seen before, and another one is essentially a hand puppet that's about oh this big, <laughs> and. Um, and I had not seen that puppet before. And when he produced that Daisy puppet at the party, uh, I just started to cry. It was just <laughs> to see that. That's so that's so cool. And so, did you did you get to take part in the actual um, what was going to be displayed on on the stage and costume? Not in the design of these puppets. I mean, I and I wasn't worried about that. Richard is so incredibly talented. I just let him go with it. And uh, and actually, we, the, the two larger puppets we are seeing next week. We haven't; they were too big for them to bring to the party. So, where uh, Irene and I are going up to pay a visit to the older daisies next week. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting! And so, this October, Hook's Tale will be on the stage. On the stage at Stages Theater in Houston, and okay. hopefully at other theaters after that. And Irene, family, it's a wonderful piece. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I I love anything that has to do with you know um, Neverland and Peter Pan. Only two characters. Only two. two. Very cool. Many characters, but only two actors. That's really neat. And Irene, you've also um, created various plays, many of which have sold to repeated uh, packed houses of Broadway. Um, can you talk about some of the plays and performances that you've created? 
Oh, sure. And it's off Broadway, just, just to let you know. I'd love to say it was Broadway, but it is off Broadway. Off Broadway. Um, uh, and my, my sort of largest claim to fame there is uh, an evening of women's monologues that I created called Women on Fire. And interestingly enough, Tracy, as we were talking about earlier, they began as what, what I call persona poems. So these are, are poems from from various characters' point of view, characters that just sort of came to me as I was reflecting on life or objects or um, some of them arose from the dream state, uh, which I highly recommend for any creator, by the way, paying attention to the dream state. Uh, and uh, so I, I would do poetry readings. I know you've done some open mics yourself. Uh, another thing that I really recommend to writers is to get out there and find your audience on your feet, if you can, and and sense what their response is to your work, and ha have that inform your work. So I would get up and read various poems, and they would be, oh yeah, I really like that poem. But I would read these poems, and people would be going, oh my god, we really love that. So I went, oh okay, uh, got to begin to shape these into into something that an audience could really enjoy, and to see those spring to life in the hands. It was done as a one woman show in New York. Mm -hmm by a gloriously talented actress called Judith Ivey. Uh, and she brought these 12 characters to life, each one very, very different. But the show has also been done. And each time I, I see it, or uh, there was a Zoom production from an equity house in California uh, in December. And seeing that again, even after uh, a long time between shows, uh, it's wonderful to, to see characters come alive. Performed by several through. actors. These oh, that's what I was, yes, thank you. That's what I was trying to say is that it's, sometimes it's five actresses each doing a few roles. Sometimes it's three actresses each doing four roles. So this was uh, a series of three actors who, uh, who did the roles. And it, it, it is, it's just really gratifying to uh, to see your, your words come alive in another person. Yeah. And I bet you receive a lot of positive feedback from people who have viewed your work and people who have been moved by it as well. That's one of the, that, that's a really lovely thing for a writer. Yeah. <laughs> However mm -hmm. it comes, if it comes uh, as an email or a review that you get on Goodreads or whatever, I'm sure you've experienced that same thing so many times, Tracy. Any kind of compliments are always so welcome <laughs> and heartening because it can be a very discouraging business sometimes. Yes. It's true. I just got a rejection for a children's book this morning. It was like, ah. <laughs> you know, when I talk to kids, because I do a lot of, well, the past year, virtual book readings. But um, when I talk to kids, I always talk about rejection. And I talk about how you know, J.K. Rowling was rejected a handful of times. And um, the creator of The Wizard of Oz was created, or rejected so many times. They kept a book of their rejection letters. And I thought, Really? So I guess it kind of lightens the blow yeah. every time I get a rejection. The latest uh, a Booker Prize, Man Booker Prize winner this last year, uh, uh, who uh, his book was rejected by something like 30 or 40 editors before it was finally accepted by one editor, and it won the biggest prize you can win in England. I mean, it's yeah. in the, England and the U.S. too. It was amazing. Yeah. And so are there certain mediums that you prefer to write in? So I know you've written for, you know, theater, you've also written novels, 
and also for television and film. So are there certain ones that you prefer over the other? Well, uh, you know, I, I've actually never written a novel. Uh, I That's the one thing I think I never can do. <laughs> um, however, uh, you know, I've written essays and poems and, and pieces for the theater. And, and my latest book is a book of essays called Glad to be Human. Mm -hmm. uh, and is there a, a, a thing I prefer? Well, the truth is my voice comes through sort of the same way, no matter what I'm writing. Then I try to tailor it to what, you know, to what is required. So, so the, the poetic aspect of it is always there. But, but sometimes like in a poem that I recently did for, uh, uh, I did a Zoom reading not long ago that I received a grant for, which was good too. That's another way of helping a writer keep at it no matter what. So I got this grant I thought, oh, I got to develop some new material for this reading. And I, I ran across in some notes in my notebook, uh, a, a set of impressions that I had and in the middle of them, and I'd sort of tried to work it up as an essay, and I found the line, less an essay, more a poem. And I thought, well, that's a note to myself, so let me see if I can make a poem out of this. And I did, even though an essay would have been sort of easy to do, to really craft a poem from it was a good, was a good challenge for me. So um, I guess essay writing is almost easier than writing a poem. You know, because there's this part of us that wants to be full of insight and full of conclusions and full of, you know, probing questions and then answers. A poem isn't really that. A poem can pose a question. Um, but if you can if you can describe what the poem is about, it's probably not a poem. You know, there's a <laughs> serious aspect to, to a poem that always exceeds the limits of its form. I don't know. What do you, what yes. do you like to write? <laughs> What do I like to write? Well, I, at the moment I like to write, I'm sort of love writing for the theater. I'm doing a lot of theater writing right now and some creative and no, short stories and novels because I feel I have control over those and those are all mine and, and my work. When, you, when I'm writing for TV or film, God knows I'm, I'm essentially a writer for hire and I have to listen as best as I can to, to my bosses and write what they want me to write. So that sometimes can be very, very frustrating, although that, of course, is where the money is. So it's a it's an interesting trade-off. I think it's neat that you originally created Hook's Tale as a book. Yes. Well, uh, yes, it was written originally as a novel. And uh, I wrote the novel in a burst of creativity in about five weeks' time. It just came flowing out of me. And... Uh, uh, so I, it clearly was meant to be. And then my friend Donald Corrin, who is the actor who was playing Hook, actually came to me a couple of years ago and said, let me commission you to turn this into a play. So I, he commissioned me to, to write a two-person play uh, uh, from my book. Now, the play is very family-oriented. The book has a little more darker elements to it, probably suitable for ages 11, 12, and up. Okay. And, and you've also written for um, film, for movies as yes. well. Yes. Can you envision it as a movie too? Or is oh, it definitely. Yeah, but yeah, I have to sell it first. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, it's, I think it's actually more of a uh, limited series on television rather than a movie in order to get all the various levels and depths and characters in. Yeah. Sell it in two, in two hours, I think.
although I do it in an hour and uh, 20 minutes or so on this hour and a half on the stage. So. So you had for, to write all these different ways and learn how to write different ways. I yeah, think like coming into different rooms in a house, I find. Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah, it takes a very creative person to train their mind to write in all these different different ways. I think. It's, thank you, but it, it's it's sort of it's mostly um, uh, the craft of it. Often it has to do with you know. Uh, whatever program you're using on the computer. You know, a lot of it is oh, technical. A lot of it is technical. So. I don't know. I feel that that there's an intuition that leads us. We're all creative. And there's an intuition that leads us one place and the next. And the more we trust that, yeah. the more we go, oh, I didn't know I could do that. But you you simply follow where the prompt leads. And, and you end up doing things you never thought you could. Yeah, that's right. And so um, a lot of my book ideas come in the dream state. And so I'll wake up, I'll write it down, and some of them appeared in the dream as ballets. How cool. so were, you a, were you a dancer yourself? No, no. But my my sister grew up, you know, ballet is, until she tried something else. But uh, my sister was ballerina for years, and I... And you dream So I thought a well, substantial body of work I noticed. Congratulations. Yes. You. Yeah. So it's been neat trying to craft it from I wrote it as a fairy tale first and then I crafted it into a ballet or you know something for theater. So we'll see if it goes. Oh, oh wonderful. Good luck with that. Thank you. That's wonderful. Yeah. And so John, for you, um, you know you've written over 20 television shows, and some of them seem very, um, like you would have to do a lot of research on them. Yeah, some of them are, are sort of my own creations, and some of them are heavily researched projects. Some of them required a lot of research. Yeah. But, uh, uh, or you know, a few were uh, adaptations of books, and uh, I let the book writer do that research. So uh, they're kind of all over the place in that in that way. And when you adopt them, do you try to stay pretty true to what's in the books? As much as I can. Uh, if I'm adapting a novel, a couple of times I've adapted novels, and I've made a few changes that I thought were a lot. I mean, basically, in, in adapting a novel, you're translating something that a writer takes, you know, two to three, two to 400 pages to write, or sometimes even more, and translating that into, you know, an hour and a half of film. That's that's a real condensation. Sometimes you have to make uh, some changes in order to adapt to that, to the time limit that you have. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, go ahead, Irene. Oh, oh I was just gonna say, I think that's one of the, uh, one of the good things about writing in general is that, the more you can condense, the better off you are. That it, 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 if you can condense 400 pages into an hour and a half on screen, or if you can take a concept and, and make it into a poem, that kind of distillation uh, process in writing is one of the things that's really gratifying to a reader, that you get a whole lot more bang for your buck when someone is really economizing in the use mm -hmm. of words, the use of scenes. Yeah, yeah, that's wise words. And for both of you, did you have any kind of, um, I guess, mentors or teachers 
along the way that have inspired you to be who you are today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Over to you first. I, uh, I, you know, there's one teacher in particular who uh, just sort of gave me the opportunity that I that to become who I am today. Uh, uh, an acting teacher that I met in grad school by the name of Archie Smith, and Archie believed in me when so many other people didn't. And uh, he supported me so thoroughly and uh, gave me opportunities that eventually led to uh, my becoming a working actor and eventually a working writer. That's all thanks to Archie. And I have big thanks to give to someone that probably all the watchers of your show are someone who is familiar to them all, who made a, such a profound difference in my life. And that is the author, Jean Marzolo. And if you've ever read an I Spy book, you've read Jean Marzolo. And she wrote over 130 children's books in her in her life. Uh, we unfortunately lost her a couple of years ago. But because she saw in my writing something that could be shared, not just for children, but in my writing for adults, she got me to my first agent. Uh, she was responsible for helping me publish my first book for adults and my books for children. So I will always be thankful that she spied me. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, for you guys, I guess living together in a space with somebody who's equally creative or just as creative, what is it like for you? Do you, do you proofread for each other? Do you give each other suggestions? We each have our own offices and our own writing spaces. We do not write together. We each write very different kinds of things. But when we're done, we each give first drafts to each other. It's true. It's That's helpful. Take notes. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. first readers for one another. And boy, am I lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a what a blessing that is. My husband is a blessing. He also understands when there's creative frustration, and I understand when he's going through creative frustration, or what you know, whatever bombardments happen from the. Uh, from the outer world. Uh, so that's been a very, very profound blessing. Yeah. And um, what new projects are on the horizon for you both? Uh, well, I have a children's uh, workshop that I'm gonna be doing in July, uh, uh, a poetry workshop for kids from eight to 10 called Voices of Animals. That's based on a collection of poems uh, that I've written by that name points of coming from the point of view of the animal. And that's one of the things I really like to do is engage the imagination of children in this way, because I think it's through the imagination and the emotional identification that compassion is born. And I think compassion is, is the thing that is saving the world right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, uh, as for other writing projects at the moment, uh, after a year of lots of flat screens, uh, I'm finding I crave three dimensions. So I'm actually working on my garden this year and uh, it's it's been a source of great joy already. I feel like we're like kindred spirits here. I've been spending <laughs> so much time in my garden. I mean, uh, hours and I'm, I just need to get in the dirt and connect to, you know, everything. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And my big thing, obviously, the big thing in, on my horizon is the first production of Hook's Tale, the play, in October. Uh, I've also uh, am writing and pretty much done with the, uh, uh, a book to a musical called La Dottoressa, which is a musical uh, based on the life of Maria Montessori, who, as mm. many of us know, was a major children's educator and really influenced uh, probably every teacher teaching in the world today. She changed the way children were taught. And she had a very astonishing, dramatic uh, life, young life particularly. And uh, so that's what this musical is focused on. And we're doing some readings of it, a workshop of it in September in Evansville, Indiana. And, uh, um, and onward from there. I have another play that I was a commissioned play that I'm waiting to do a workshop and hopefully a production of once COVID rules relax in certain places. And uh, and I'm have another two person piece that I'm working on for another actor and myself to read and perform. So I'm uh, I'm a busy guy right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if. Uh probably like me, where if you only have one thing going on, you're like, what else can I, what else can I work yeah. on? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you also have, um, is it an adaptation of The Exorcist? Oh yes, I, I did, that's another thing. I, I did an adaptation of The Exorcist. I was, William Peter Blatty, God love him, gave me those rights before he passed away. And there was a production of it in uh, the UK, in London's West End, in which later toured, the UK and Dublin and and will hopefully be coming to the United States uh, to New York uh, soon. But we're again, we're, everything has been put on hold because of this epidemic. So yeah, hopefully soon it all opens back up and yeah, things can resume. Uh, uh, that play, however, is obviously not suitable for children. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no mistake. <laughs> so, for any for any kids or you know young listeners who are interested in a career in writing, what what words of advice do you have for them? Um, I'll go write and then rewrite. Don't ever believe that what you write the first time is, is the finished product because it very seldom is. And that's great, that's fine. Writing is all about rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and things get better and better and better all the time. And that's how you develop your, your voice and find out your, who, who you are and what your, where your talent lies. So do it, write and then rewrite and then rewrite. <laughs> I would say read and then reread, read. <laughs> Yes, that read. you're drawn to. Absolutely. Uh, each time you read, you're expanding your vocabulary. You're you're expanding your palate, uh, and and read people that you think might be a little hard for you. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the reasons uh, I think my vocabulary expanded was that when I was in my twenties, I had a job going around reciting Shakespeare's sonnets at a Renaissance fair, and to begin to make his words part of my working vocabulary. Wow. And I also suggest going to the theater. Yes, go to play, plays and ballets and music. Yeah. Do, do all that. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I was just going to say anything that you can do that can expand your capacity for the 
understanding and belief in the intensity and the meaning of words will serve you as you struggle with whatever emotions you are trying to commit to the page. And if you're interested in film and movies, look at old movies. Don't just look at contemporary. Look at old movies. My old movies, I mean black and white movies. I mean Don't silent be afraid movies. of black and white. Don't be afraid of black and white. <laughs> look at silent movies. They're some of the most wonderful movies ever oh, made hilarious. were made without sound or without speaking sound. There's always music accompanying them. But it's look at that. Explore those things. Look at movies made in the 1930s and the 1940s. They're wonderful, wonderful pieces back from back then. Not just The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still a good one. <laughs> well, I have just loved our time together today, and I'm very pleased to have met you, and I know that you're going to be inspiring so many future generations for years to come oh, with everything so. you're doing. Thank um, you, Tracy. So thank you both so much for being here, and um, have a great, great rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. -bye.